Good evening on this Christmas week. I am so glad to be here with you for Steadfast as we continue our series, The Spirit of Christmas. Tonight we're thinking about how the Spirit calls us to respond, how He interacts with our individual lives and then calls us to action. And we see that several times throughout the Christmas story. So let's come before our God, the one who calls us to act, the one who acts with us and gives us the strength to do so, and ask for his guidance tonight. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you for sending your son into the world as we we celebrate on Christmas Day, but also every day of the year. And thank you for sending your spirit that that we aren't alone trying to simply reflect on what happened two millennia ago, but you are with us as we do. Lord, would you guide us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you hear the wonderful news? It feels like an early Christmas gift. People around the world have been praying for missionaries that were taken hostage in Haiti, and it seemed for a long time that it was uncertain whether they'd even survive. They'd been taken by a group that said that they would be killed if an absolutely mind-boggling sum of money wasn't provided. A few missionaries had been released, but I believe it was 17 of them were still being held by this gang that had taken them while they were seeking to serve an orphanage back in October. But yesterday, yesterday they got on a plane chartered by the United States and came back to this country. And what an amazing thing it is. Here, here is that group of missionaries, a whole set of families that have been held for months now by this gang And as I understand it, as they were all there crammed in an all-too-small space, every day they set up a rhythm of spending the first part of the day praying for hours, praying and praising God. And then midday they start praying for their deliverance. They wanted to focus first and foremost on God, and then even though it seemed unlikely and even as time wore on, they kept praying that God would deliver them. They had contemplated a number of times throughout their time as hostages, if they could somehow escape. But they became convinced that even if that were God's calling, that he was going to allow them to escape, they needed to wait until it was very clear from him that it was time. And so it was just a couple of days ago that one of the members of the missionary team felt after praying that that he or she was being led to, to lead an escape. And, and they talked about him before when different members of the team had, had felt like maybe it was time to go and try to escape. They couldn't come to any kind of consensus about it. But they took it as a sign from God that this time as they contemplated it and as they prayed about it together, they all sensed God's peace, that it was time to go. And so they did, even as they were surrounded by guards that were holding them hostage for months, they, they escaped. And they went through all kinds of rugged terrain, through briar patches, and, and somehow all of them arrived safely, encountered someone who could make a phone call, and now they're home. What an amazing thing. And it came because they were waiting for the call of the Holy Spirit. They were ready to respond when the Spirit nudged them. Because sometimes we're, we're waiting and waiting and we're waiting, but we're not ready when the Spirit actually is ready for us to act. We're not listening for the leading of the Spirit. And other times, we just plow ahead. We, we maybe have the right sense of where God wants us, 
but we're not waiting for him to lead. I'd imagine as they, they sat there in prison, they, they probably thought, how can this be? How can this be that we were serving God and we'd be left here? And how can it be that as we pray that there's any way that God is ever going to rescue us? And yet they kept praying and they prayed with faith that God would act. And so he did. Now, we see a man who had prayed and sought the Lord for years in the Gospel of Luke, but he doesn't quite match up with these missionaries. He wasn't ready to respond when the Spirit actually came to do his work. And let's take a look at Luke chapter 1 and meet Zechariah. Zechariah has encountered an angel who says he's going to be a father. And he's old in years, he's been longing for a child, and yet one has never come. And the angel announces this good news, and this is what Zechariah says. How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. So we see some interesting things here. If we look back at verse 6, we're told that Zechariah is a devout man. He's not an unfaithful man. He's not someone who's just going through the ceremonial motions here. He's devout. He's righteous. He, he seeks after the Lord. And yet when God actually sends an angel to tell him that his prayers are being answered, he's going to have a son, that, that the things that he's been waiting for are going to happen. He's filled with doubt. And as, as I read that, I think we can feel like we look at him in exasperation. Zechariah, how can you not know this? I mean, there, we've been telling this story for 2,000 years. You're going to have a son named John. Can't you get it through your head? But notice we've been telling this story for 2,000 years. He hadn't heard it. And when I think about it, and I think about if I were in his place, have to think that maybe I'd act a lot like he did. He was stunned. He, he was in the presence of an angel, yes, and, and how amazing that, that would be. And yet, he, he probably was questioning, am I imagining things? Am I seeing something that isn't really there? Am I misunderstanding the angel? I'm sure all kinds of things ran through his head. So his question is probably the same sort of question we would want to ask. Well, can you show me that this is true? Because uh, maybe I ate something for lunch that's disagreeing with me and I'm just seeing things. Maybe I'm crazy. How do I know that you're actually here, that what you're telling me is actually true? And the way that life often seems sets us up to anticipate that. Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed for years. They had wanted to have a child for years. They prayed and they prayed. The baby never came. They'd grown old and they'd probably long ago given up on the idea because it wasn't going to happen. It was clear to them that this was not a prayer that God intended to answer. Zechariah was not processing in his mind 
waiting for an angel to appear and say, hey, your prayer is now going to be answered. It was like we often are resigned to the way things are. Resigned to the fact that in a broken world, sometimes God says no to even prayers that seem good. When things aren't aren't coming together, we just anticipate it's going to continue that way. And in some sense, it's not always the wrong thing to do. We should certainly face life with a realistic mindset and be willing if there are things that God doesn't intend to fix for us, that they might stay broken. It, it strikes me in sort of a very small scale, like what we've been set up to anticipate over the last couple of years. Ever since the pandemic hit, we, we've had these waves of shortages of different products. And and so at different times of the year, we just anticipate things that we took for granted before aren't necessarily going to show up. Read over the weekend that there's a massive candy cane shortage. And I, I can't say this breaks my heart because I don't like peppermint, but I know a lot of you are are just devastated at the idea that you might not have your candy canes. And, and yet places that have never over, I read about a candy shop that had candy canes for the last hundred years or something like that. Never run out of them. It's totally out. And we see these sorts of things over and over again. It's gotten to the point where if there's anything that I want that might be semi-seasonal or, or somewhat limited in availability, I'm starting to just anticipate it's not going to work. And if I assume it's not going to work, the next step I might take is I'm not even going to try. Maybe you heard about the candy cane shortage and thought, yes, we always have candy canes at Christmas, but it's not even worth the hassle to try to find them. And so we start to entertain these doubts, and we do that on small things like candy canes, but we we also do that on the big things that God calls us to be to do in life, to be concerned about in life. And that worst doubt can chip away at how we anticipate that God is going to work. Zechariah had the sort of doubt that we often fall into, and yet he also was a righteous and devout man. And so God shows him some mercy. He doesn't just take Zechariah out of the picture and say, okay, well, if you're not going to believe, you're not going to get this blessing. He doesn't do that. But we see later in the Gospels those who who have allowed the, the cynicism and the brokenness and the disappointments of life to eat into them so much that, that even when they encounter the Savior himself, all they can ask for is, show us a sign to prove yourself, Jesus. We see that in Luke chapter 11, verse 29. It says, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Now, if you know what Jesus was referring to, and it becomes clear later on in scripture, that's a pretty amazing sign. Jesus is going to go to the cross for us. He's going to triumph over death for us. And yet, those who, who had been hardened, who, who every time they saw Jesus doing miraculous things and teaching with authority that no one could explain, every time they saw that, all they could think of was, prove it to us, Jesus. And then he would do a miracle, and what did they say? Well, prove it to us some more. Or they look for, as we talked about a number of weeks ago, well, look at how this miracle seems to maybe violate some extension of the law that we've built. Whatever Jesus would do, they were ready to block it. They were ready to say, this can't be. They, they said, we've been yearning for candy canes for centuries, and they never come. And so we're not even, we don't even want to hear about a store that has candy canes anymore, Jesus. 
They were like Zechariah, who who wanted this son, and yet had come so he'd become so settled in his understanding that it wouldn't happen that he couldn't even process it when it did. Only at least he'd held on to his righteousness. He'd held on to his yearning for God. And he probably landed where a lot of us land at times, where where he believed that God could do anything, but he believed that God wouldn't do anything in his life. And so he could keep worshiping God, he could keep loving God, and clearly he does, but he wasn't ready to respond anymore. But this is also a warning, and I think we see that in that later passage in Jesus's ministry, that the dangerous next step that we can fall into if we allow that cynicism to continue to corrode our anticipation of God's work is that we, we can end up in a place like the Pharisees where we're not actually looking at it at all and we can't even be corrected by, by God because we've just shut it all off. We don't want anything to do with it. Then we miss out. But even Zechariah, loving God as he does, misses out on some of the joy of the announcement. And, and that's where if you're a believer, if you believe in Jesus, you don't have to worry about falling into that place that the Pharisees are. Because at worst, those of us who believe in Jesus, who follow him as our Lord and Savior, we've been saved. So so the worst that can happen is what Zechariah faces. But that's still unfortunate. Because think about it. He could have spent those months waiting for John to be born, celebrating, telling everyone about this miraculous event that happened to him, being joyful about it. And instead, he's silent. God doesn't actually take away the voice of most of us today. But so often when he is working, our hearts are silent. And we miss out on the joy just like Zechariah does because we're so convinced God isn't going to work. That even when he goes ahead and works in spite of us, and he certainly can do that, we don't get to enjoy it fully. For years, I never tried this wonderful thing called butternut squash. It wasn't until last year when it seemed like we'd reached peak butternut squash where everything seemed to be made out of butternut squash that I finally actually tasted it for the first time. And in a sense, I could be said to be of miss, missed out on the joy of butternut squash because if you've not had one, it's amazing. It's delicious. Everyone should enjoy butternut squash every fall. It's so good making myself hungry right now talking about it. And yet for years, butternut squash are not a new thing. They've been around. And yet for all my years up to last year, I hadn't experienced the joy. The, the deliciousness was still there, but I wasn't tasting it. I wasn't getting to take part in it. And so often when we're not receptive to what God is doing, like Zechariah isn't, we miss out on some of the joy. And eventually we can come around. Zechariah gets to, of course, have joy. He gets to see John born. He gets to see John grow as a young boy. We don't know exactly how long Zechariah lives, but he gets some of the joy, but he misses out on part of it. And I think as we look at this story, it challenges us to ask, where is it that even, where are those things that we've been praying over and over again, coming before God, and yet we're so hardened, we're so convinced that he's not going to come into that part of our life? that even when he does, we can't enjoy it, at least not at first, or at least not for a long time. 
That was Zachariah's challenge. And, and so here we see that we need to check our own hearts and ask, am I being hardened so much by the world and its expectations and its brokenness that, that I'm missing out on what God is doing? The world wearies us and, and causes us to doubt more and more what God can do, and yet we're called to turn to his word, to turn to what he's done in the past, and to then go forward ready to respond when he calls us with his spirit. And that's what we see with the others in this story. For example, consider Mary just a little bit further along in the Gospel of Luke. She actually asks a pretty similar question when she's told that she is going to give birth to Jesus. It says, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Why isn't she made mute? Well, if you look at the wording, it gives something away. Mary wants to know, how will this be? She wants to understand how it will be. But it's clear that she doesn't assume anything negative about it. Zachariah wants proof. He wants to know, is this true? Show it to me. Mary responds, wanting to understand, but not with doubt like Zachariah. And in that, then, she's going to be able to enjoy what God is going to do. She's going to be able to witness the whole process in a way that Zechariah wasn't able to. And we see that time and again in this story. For example, over the 12 days of Christmas, we're going to be thinking about what Anna and Simeon declare as they celebrate the coming of the Savior. And as we think about them, or as we turn to the story of Joseph, we see again and again. We see it with the wise men. We see people who, for every reason in the world, could have been just as hardened. For every reason in the world, could have assumed nothing would happen. Yet they were responsive to the Spirit. Now you might say, but sometimes it's so hard. And sometimes it feels like if, if, if I am going to somehow be ready to be responsive, I'm just going to be taken when things aren't the way they should be. I'm just going to be a naive fool. It doesn't hurt to ask questions. It doesn't hurt to initially look to see if God is working. For example, consider the story of Joseph. Joseph doesn't immediately assume when Mary tells him the news that everything is, is a-okay. But he's ready to hear from God. Take a look at verse 19 of Matthew chapter 1. It says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So, Joseph at first, does what we might say is the cautious thing. He assumes that there's something not right here. He tries to act in a, a moral way. He tries to be kind to Mary. He doesn't seek to, to put her up to, for the death penalty as he could have. He just says, well, you know, life's hard and something's broken here. 
And he tries to figure out what's faithful to do in that. But he's also ready to hear from the Spirit. And when the Spirit says, no, what you've heard from Mary, that, that this baby she's going to have is, is from the Holy Spirit, it's true. And you should take her to be your wife. Then he's ready to respond. He's ready to move forward with what God has called him to do because he's responsive to the Spirit. And we see then they get to experience the joy. Joseph gets to, to see the Savior of the world grow up in his home. Mary gets to rejoice because she's receptive and, and, and then gets to witness the whole process with belief. It's not that, that this belief makes it happen. God wasn't going to let something bad happen to, to this plan if Joseph didn't catch on. God wasn't going to, to let everything fall apart if Mary wasn't willing in her heart. It's all about getting to experience being in cooperation with God rather than just standing on the sidelines. And we see that joy that Mary has in Luke chapter 1. Mary sings this beautiful song that, that Jeff and Kathy shared with us last night. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Think about that. She goes on much longer than that, but think about that beginning. My soul magnifies the Lord. She rejoices in her Savior. It's going to be hard. There are going to be people who will mock her. And, and even if everyone believed her story, which it doesn't seem that they did, but even if everyone had believed her story, they still had to go and complete the census and travel to Bethlehem and all these things that we celebrate at Christmas that seem really nice but are actually really awful to go through. But she was receptive. And so in the midst of that, she could say, my soul rejoices. She could actually be a part of what God was doing and celebrate that. That's what we're called to do, too. We're called to declare his perfect kingdom. And yet in this broken, messed up, angry world that we, we find ourselves in, it feels like we just want to say, but how can it be? And the question we need to ask ourselves is when we say those words, are we saying, God, help me to understand more how you're working? Are we saying, basically, I don't think it can be unless you smack me over the head with a board that proves it, God. Are we receptive to the Holy Spirit that as he calls us to tell the world that, that his kingdom is coming, that his kingdom is already breaking into the world, that the church is the representative of what is to come, that everything will be made new by the work of Jesus? Are we receptive to believe that and communicate that to others, or do we just want to say, I'm going to go and, and keep my expectations low and I'm going to do the things that the world says because I don't know how it can be. You see, when we are receptive, when we're recognizing that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives and working in this broken world, as broken as it is, we get to have that joy. And, and when we have that joy that God gives us, it then enables us to do things that, that we can't do on our own. I was struck by those missionaries in the statement that they released after they were brought home safely. It included a message to their captors, and I just want to read that to you. It says, We do not know all the challenges you face. We do not believe that violence and oppression of others can... We do believe that violence and oppression of others can never be justified. You caused our hostages and their families a lot of suffering. However, Jesus has taught us by word 
by his own example that the power of forgiving love is stronger than the hate of violent force. Therefore, we extend forgiveness to you. The hostages told you plainly how you can also be forgiven by God if you repent. Our desire is that you and all who hear or read this statement may come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace. Jesus died for all so that all can be saved. In our world-weary, broken, how-can-this-be place that we often find ourselves, we don't want to say things like that. My first thought when, when I heard that the hostages were, had been freed and were safe, the next thing that jumped in my head is, I wonder if they can report these people and they can be captured and brought to justice. But what did they think? They responded to the Spirit they wanted to communicate to them that Jesus can forgive them, and that they wanted to be a part of that by offering their own forgiveness to them. That's challenging, and that's hard. And I think we all have probably struggled at times to offer forgiveness. We can only do it with God's Spirit. We can only do it when we're receptive to what God's doing, when, when we're so focused on God's kingdom and where he's taking us. And we're so focused on a future that seems impossible that the things that make sense right now start to seem less important. The things that that seem logical in a cynical, cold, broken world seem unnecessary because we may wonder, how can this be? How is it that God's going to work? We ask it with faith like Mary. We, We ask it believing that we already have our answer, that God's Spirit is the answer, that His Spirit is with us today. He's with you. He's with me. And so I can ask God, how can this be? I don't understand how it's going to come together. But the thing that I pray for myself and I pray for you is that when I ask that, I ask that wanting to know more about what God is doing so I can be a part of it and enjoy it and rejoice in it. Not because I've come to such a cynical place, I believe it won't really happen. We think about the miracle of Christmas and how unlikely it is. That miracle urges us. The unlikely does happen because God is the one who acts in unlikely ways to save us and then to send us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you for acting in ways that that often don't make sense to us, that we don't understand, that, that seem unlikely. Thank you for saving us, even though it seems unlikely that anyone would. Lord, would you help us to trust in you and more than just trust in you and, and, and more than just doing your will? Would you help us not to fall into that place that Zechariah does where we're not receptive to what you're doing, but we can see it and we can proclaim it. We can follow the example we see in the, those others who are in this story, who were ready to hear from you. And in that eagerness to hear from you, Lord, would you help us to be eager to share your hope with a world that often utters, how can it be with full certainty it can't? That many more might know indeed it can, that you are the one who restores. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, this has been an encouragement to you tonight. If, if reflecting on the God who can, even when it seems like it can't be, is, is something that you needed to hear, consider sharing this with others. A lot of people need to hear that this season. 
please give us a like as well. You can help us to share about the God who works amazing wonders. And I hope that you'll join us for everything else that's coming up over the next couple of weeks as we celebrate the Christmas season. You can check out our website that has links to everything, including our Christmas Eve service at 7 p.m. on Friday. That's going to be the culmination of the series we've been going through. I hope that you'll join us for that. It's going to be a wonderful evening. We're going to continue to, to consider the implications of Christmas in a new Steadfast series next week on Monday at 7 p.m. called Forwarding Christmas. And we're going to have a 12 Days of Christmas devotional booklet that you can join us in starting on Christmas Day called Because of Christmas, all coming together to think of how God sends us because he's the God who does the impossible for us. If there's any way I can be praying for you or encourage you this week, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on the screen. You can also leave a comment in the comments below. I would love to pray for you. I would love to hear from you. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week, a Merry Christmas, and I hope to see you here on Christmas Eve on Friday evening. Thank you.